Hey, MTJ listener. Are you a solopreneur who knows doing it all yourself won't get you to that next level? Well, before we start this epic episode, let me tell you about our amazing sponsor, My VA Rocks. My VA Rocks is a virtual assistant agency that pairs you with the help you desperately need. Their wildly talented virtual assistants can pretty much do it all. From sales support, grant writing, speaker outreach, bookkeeping, to graphic design, copywriting, and of course, those administrative tasks we all dread, My VA Rocks has the perfect support for you. And honestly, I have had several clients hire VAs from My VA Rocks, and I have personally not only seen their business exponentially grow faster, but I've also been able to see them fully step into their passion and have this renewed sense of excitement in their business because no longer are they overwhelmed by all the things that they think they need to do. They can fully just do what they want to do to create the business that they desire. So you want to see how My VA Rocks can support you? Well, head over to their website at myva.rocks to book a complimentary consultation call. Also, don't forget to follow them on Instagram at MyVARocks. All right, let's get to it. Welcome to More Than Just. I'm your host, Mel McSherry. On this podcast, we share how we are more than just descriptors and titles that identify us in our lives, our businesses, and our communities. In this safe common room space, you'll hear stories of success and lessons learned from myself and other misfits, entrepreneurs, and changemakers. My intention is to inform, connect, and expand our knowledge so we can be mentally, emotionally, and financially profitable as we create the change we desire. My promise is that from each episode, you'll take away not only inspiration and a connection to someone you never knew before, but also the encouragement, the action steps, and the support so you can create what you want. I cannot wait to see what we will learn today. So let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of More Than Just. Mel McSherry here, and I I know I say this probably every episode, but I'm so excited to have my latest guest on, Rodney Perry. Now, I'm just going to give you a little background of how I know Rodney, and then I'm going to let him take it from here. But I met Rodney as we are both members of the Refine Collective. And what the Refine Collective is, is a digital community where people of color, women, and members of the LGBTQIA plus community can come together and advance their businesses. They saw this gap in the purchasing power, not only within these companies, but for these companies. And we met during an office hours, absolutely just loves one, already spending time with him. And two, since stalking him thoroughly on social media, which y'all know I love to do, I just absolutely love his storytelling and his content. He also has an amazing podcast, which I'm sure we will talk about. But I'm just so excited to hear about you, Rodney, and hear, you know, again, how you are more than just. So first and foremost, thank you so much for being here and spending time with me. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for, you know, inviting me on. I love this. I don't, I don't, get to guest as often as I would like to. So I always, it's funny how I put that out this year and I've yeah. guested on three podcasts this year already, just from just saying that and then putting a little bit of effort. And I was like, okay, nice. I can do this a lot more. And this was an organic type of thing. <laughs> I didn't even, I didn't even know, but I felt like it's, you know, it's more of the, more of the energy that I kind of called in this year. 
Yeah, 100%. Well, I'm so glad that, you know, I I received that call and was able, whether, you know, consciously or not, and, and extended the invitation. Yeah. So yeah. I always love to start off this podcast with asking, you know, how are you, what is the one thing that you kind of been narrowed down to? And how are you mm. more than just that? Mm. See, I, I feel like, yeah, on the form, I guess I answered it from a standpoint of creator. I think that is something I had to come into claim for myself. I think people always mm. kind of assumed it about me to a certain extent, but I think I've mm. always been projected to be so many different things. And I think ultimately mm. it's usually something that's to the use of some type of practical industry. Like growing up, I think I definitely being able to speak, mm. quote unquote, speak well, always pushed me into the category of, oh, you're, you should be a lawyer or you should be a a politician or you should be a, all these different things that I had no true interest in for real. Mm. And even when it came to me showing some sense of like interest in business, it was like, Oh yeah, that's it. That's it. You'll be like a great, you know, CEO and da da da, and like really, you know, move and shake corporate America and all these different things. And it's just like, yeah, I don't want to do that either. You know, I never really had a desire. <laughs> to, I really never had a desire to really go that route either. And I think a lot of people, put that on me because I was always assuming particular positions that kind of affirmed that for them about me. I was always running for, mm. you know, throughout grade school, I was always running for some type of class president or some type of council or board or whatever it could be for whatever club. And I think that was just me being involved. Mm -hmm. And also just, I felt like I was winning everything. So it was like, let me just keep trying my luck. And I just kept winning these different elections and these different positions and e-boards and da-da-da. So I'm like, why not? You know, you're supposed to, you know, beef up your high school resume for, you know, for colleges. And then once I got to college, I feel like I became what I would like to say the male Olivia Pope of my university. Like I became a very important person in my, gener like my class and generation, but I was very much a political, yeah. you know, I was in the hands of the politics of the school, but I kind of did a lot mm -hmm. of things in a rogue way that I could do that a lot of people probably couldn't do just because I just kind of mm. figured the system out that it was like, it's no reason for me to be an elected official. I do way more. I can get way more done not being an SGA than I, than I can. I can do way more community service. Mm -hmm. I can do way more dope creative events by not being tied to a particular mm -hmm. organization and it helped so much, but so many people mm -hmm. assumed a lot of things about me because of that. So it was like, Oh yeah, this is what you want to be. You want to do this, you want to do that. I've gotten people thought I wanted to be a pastor or a motivational speaker or a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. And I get that to an extent, but ultimately I was I was a, you know, a person not claiming my creative side for a long time. I think I was always putting myself mm -hmm. in the secondary position as a saying, Oh yeah, I'm a I'm a you know collaborator and producer. Mm -hmm. I, I help creatives bring things to life and that doesn't but I never claimed that for myself until I just kind of had that awakening. And realize, like, damn, I got a bunch mm. of, like, notebooks that I just write in all the time. Yeah. I have all of my friends are yeah. creative in some capacity in, like, an extreme way. And I'm like, dang. So are they? I'm, I'm thinking they hanging with me because I'm just, I don't know. I'm thinking, making up reasons that we're cool because we're cool. But in reality, once right. I, like, came to that awakening and that right. realization and just asked them straightforward questions, it was like, yeah, bro, why do you think we, why do you think I asked you so many questions about, hey, what you think about this? Hey, what you think about this? <laughs> you know, like, mm. you think it's because I don't think you're a creative person that I don't think your opinion matters? Like, no, I, I think you want to, most creative people I know, you always got ideas, you know? 
You're the only person I know who could probably, I could come yeah. to with an idea and you know how to make it happen. While there's so many creative people where they only have ideas. Mm-hmm. They don't even know how to like make them real. Mm-hmm. And like that is a part of the creative process. How are you creating if you never, if you just are an idea person? So ultimately, yeah. I, yeah, I feel like everybody wanted me to be something that served them. And ultimately, I was mm. really kind of trying to find a way to serve myself in a way. Mm, that's so powerful. And it's so it's so crazy to me because listening to you know other people's stories and obviously sharing my own, it's those little things that spark such a trajectory. And what I mean by that is it was a little thing, quote unquote, of somebody just saying, oh, you know what? You speak really well. You should do this. Yeah. And yeah. you and your younger mind, your younger self, clinging to that almost be like, there it is. That's my thing. And then trying mm-hmm. so hard to match that. And yeah. it's it's not until we have a trusted person from the outside, usually later in life. I know for me, it was definitely later in life. Of somebody like, no, dude, like this is this is what we see. And this is this is why we spend time with you. But we still tend to go back to those original hooks Mm -hmm. so what was your process and i don't know if process is the right word but when you heard that from your friend of like no man you're the most creative person i know what was your journey like after that like was there was there some quote-unquote reprogramming like what is it that you what were your next steps after you started really letting that sink in yeah i think it was a process i think it was a journey because i think i didn't claim that I didn't call myself that at all. Mm. And that was me at 21 mm. years old. You know what I'm saying? Like, and coming mm-hmm. into and thinking retrospectively about all the creative things I did prior to. Like, I knew how to draw. I knew how to paint. I knew I've always loved mm. just storytelling and screenwriting and watching movies and, like, the technicality of certain things. And certain things have always came easy to me, too. So it was, in my mind, I thought of it in a very practical sense. It's like, I just learned how to, I just know how to do things. I'm adaptable. I'm mm. all these very vague mm-hmm. things that are still these utility factors that help other people. And not thinking of them to be truly mm. just a description of my creative self, you know, I was detaching it from that. Mm. So once I, I started to look through those, you know, notebooks that I was found and kind of organized, I was like, let me read some of the stuff I wrote over the years. Cause I just, would sporadically write things in these notebooks. And I was like, why did I keep doing this? And why don't I, and why am I not so attached mm. to this that I don't do it more intent, you know, and more intentionally. Mm. Cause I it just, I just had so many things in these notebooks yeah. of just like long drawn proses and long drawn, like almost journal entries and things I like wrote with other people just to kind of get an idea out of poems and things like that. You know, I'm like, damn, like I really am like, a writer, I guess. I guess I am, but it makes sense. I'm good at this. <laughs> yeah, like, like it was, it was, it, it made sense from a standpoint of me having. A, I think what the process was next was it recognizing and acknowledging all the things I was missing about myself, and also defining what it is that I'm attracted mm-hmm. to about these particular crafts and these particular things. And it took years, you know. That's it's, it was a process, mm-hmm. but I think I realized, like, oh, I've always kind of liked language. I've always been able to pick up on certain things that came from just the act of speaking to other people. I've always been able to like pinpoint what can excite people in conversation and, and keep that going, you know? And that, that was always my kind of like my internal secret weapon when it came to just engaging and networking with people is to, to know and to pinpoint like, Oh, 
because I, I knew so much. I knew, had so much random knowledge. I love random mm-hmm. facts. I retain a lot of a lot of things just from things I've read and whatever. <laughs> and and it is it's, it's extremely useless until it's useful, you know? Like it, it just is. But I think because of that, it also affords you the ability to be able to speak about a myriad of things at any point in time. You can jump into any conversation at any point in time. And I think for me, I didn't realize how much of my conversation style and all these various things is what was aiding in me preparing to jump into the medium that I eventually jumped into. And that was podcasting. Like, I think I think that was kind of the thing. Like, I feel like every creative, maybe when you do it at an earlier phase and age, you kind of realize and you know you're a creative and Mm -hmm. eccentric person. And then you find the medium that kind of, you know, you start with. And I think that was why it was like that for me. Mm -hmm. You know, the podcast Mm -hmm. came out of really kind of at that same time when I was my senior year in college, I had wanted to submit for a radio show. Seeing how so many people on campus mm. were just getting radio shows, and I was like, "Damn, it's that easy to get a radio show? I can, I, I, can, I can do this." I, my mom has always said I have a nice voice. <laughs> right? Let me, let me, let me, let me go ahead. And then I looked and just kind of surveyed the radio shows, student-ran radio shows that were out there, and everything was kind of in this like more like hip hop, pop culture, talk, Breakfast Club style of things, mm. you know. And and I'm like, okay, what if I give mm. them, you know, something simple? Hence, simply King. But also, like, it'd be like a Thursday night slot during, like, a good, like, maybe 7 to 10 when people are studying. And I play, like, you know, like, Neo Soul and, like, old R&B and just stuff that's, like, easy listening for for uh, study, mm-hmm. right? And then I have, like, you know, cool little segments mm-hmm. and reoccurring things. And my friend Stretch was going to be, like, my music supervisor and help me with the playlisting and all that. And I wrote, mm-hmm. as soon as I found out how easy it was to submit, I was like, okay, cool. I literally came with a proposal in, like, two days. And submitted it, and they kept giving me the runaround, tell me how to talk to like two to three to four of the people to get approval, and they got to say so, and they got to give me the green light. And they finally gave me the runaround for so many months, mm-hmm. they finally approved my show in April of my senior year. And uh, we're talking about me literally, my last day wow. of class is like weeks from then. So I'm like, okay, so I'm not doing that. And mm-hmm. I submitted in October, the previous semester. Um, So I could have gotten my show approved wow. and got it going, it would have... You know, had it Did they say if that was like typical? I don't know. I didn't investigate past the point of like just <laughs> checking in. Kind of <laughs> I'm not trying up. to stir up any drama. I was just curious. <laughs> I, yeah, no, no. Yeah, I, I, after like after several months <laughs> passed and it got to April, I was like, obviously they don't want to do it. So it is what it is. So when they finally right. hit me back and was like, hey, your show is approved and hit up these people, and you can start getting slots for, you know, for the studio and da da da. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, I didn't even, I don't even think I replied to the email like, no, thank you. I think I just, let it go because I'm like, literally, mm-hmm. my last day of class is three weeks from now, and I'm graduating five weeks from now. Like, I'm Jeez. not doing this. No, I'm yeah. I'm fine. But I just so I let it go, and then um August of that year, moved to Chicago, and my friend Stretch brought it back up to me again. And months have passed now. And he was just like, "Hey, I know you uh you know you shelved the idea for the radio show, obviously for obvious reasons, but have you thought about just like changing the format and doing a podcast?" And I was like, what's a podcast? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was in 2015. <laughs> that, was, that was in 2015 before, I think, you know, when podcasting was really starting to turn. And, like, a lot of people were mm-hmm. starting to really notice. And a lot of different people, a lot of people, a lot of money was starting to get made and be defined and being quantified in podcasting mm-hmm. around 2015. But a lot of people still weren't in it. And a lot of people of color definitely weren't into it. 
by way of being podcasters as well as podcast listeners. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, sure. I looked into yeah. it. It seemed like something I could figure out. It seemed like something I could, you know, learn how to do. And I just did it. Was, you know, recording my first episode just with my mouth close to my uh, my laptop, you know. <laughs> um, and just kept nice. it going. And, and just didn't know what it was going to be. But I think it was one of the best outlets I could find for myself. Because it made me, because it was for one, it was mm. multimedia. It allowed for me to be able to use my voice for the first time in a consistent manner and and also be able to focus and like almost make my mm-hmm. thoughts succinct, which I feel like I needed just in terms of just my overall mm-hmm. creative self, being able to just focus on one thing and kind of, you mm-hmm. know, complete whatever it is and just collaboration, really just collaboration. I think I've always been good at mm-hmm. collaborating with people and just being able to like use all these things that I've done over the years in various ways for this particular medium was the perfect one for me. Instead of it just being like, oh yeah, you just write every day. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you just shoot, you just take pictures mm-hmm. every day and that's it. You know, you just, it, I need, I think I needed something that had just some multiplicity to it in terms of the creation of it. And I do it all. I did, I did, I've done it all and I still do it all <laughs> by myself from recording to booking the guests to creating the outlines <laughs> to coming up with the cover art for the, each episode. And that was a, more of a kind of personal mm-hmm. challenge to kind of practice graphic design and get better mm-hmm. at that. And that's something that's definitely aided me a lot in getting better with it because I can like quickly think of things or quickly mm-hmm. find ways to like deliver the message and connect the imagery to what I, what the episode was like and just meet so many people. Like I've talked to so mm-hmm. many people and I think about that all the time. Like, damn, I really talk to people who are... Yeah. Um, I've talked to folks from around the world. I've talked to people from around this country and talked about so many different things, you know, and I really am glad that I stuck to my guns and didn't get, didn't niche down so hard because I just kept getting proof that it was Mm. more me than anything. You know, like I think if I would have like made my podcast only Mm -hmm. about relationships or only about mental health or only about something about pop culture, I think I would have gotten bored. I think I would have stopped doing it because it would have mm-hmm. it would have felt like, oh, I would have had to have created a bunch of other versions of the podcast just to feel truly fulfilled. And I think it works because I think people right. who listen to my podcast have came to my podcast for different reasons. And they might keep up with those episodes that are yeah. similar to the reason why they came. And I'm OK with that. I'm not even mad because right. it, it is what yeah. it is. If you always listen to the podcast, that seem like I'm talking about popular culture. Sure. I have enough of them. If you always come back for when I'm talking about relationship mm-hmm. things, cool. Have enough of them. I'm going to always kind of recycle these mm-hmm. evergreen and hot topics. And the way that I even approach things that are timely, I always try to mm-hmm. approach them from an evergreen context. So it's like I want these things to age well. And yeah. funny enough, funny enough, a lot of them have. That's so cool. And I love a couple of things that you brought up. One, I love that you talked a little bit about your process of what you do inside of your podcast because with the people that I have interviewed so far everybody's been a little bit different I've had somebody on here who is a major delegator like they have you know if they can't do it they outsource to somebody else I've had Mm -hmm. somebody or if they can't do it they decide just to not put that as part of their process or their creativity or what have you and I love with you you're like it, it excites me because it it keeps me guessing and it keeps you and I are very similar in that fact of I love learning new things now do I Mm -hmm. learn them for myself personally do I learn them to a fact where I can be an expert at it no but I love to learn new things and see how it can strengthen when I hit you know my 
limit with it or my cap with it, then I, you know, disperse it out or what have you. So I love that you, one, do that and two, give yourself the permission to do that and not out of a, I have to, or I should do this. It's more of a, now this, this gets me excited because I can turn from being a host to now the graphic designer to now the editor. And it, it, it hits all of those different spots. And the other thing that I love that you said is that you don't niche down. That definitely was an inspiration for this podcast is that, you know, we get preached that so much as entrepreneurs, as creatives, as humans in general, that we need to be known for, you know, that one thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I had a really interesting discussion with my brother the other day about how my business has has shifted and I now offer more, you know, spiritual guidance and life guidance as well as business guidance. And he was asking me if I felt that that negated me from certain opportunities because people who would see that more spiritual side or what have you, different from what I had been, you know, fully advertising before, would I be missing out on opportunities? And I was like, you know, I don't think it's, narrowing me down, I think it's expanding me because they now see that I have these different facets and I don't talk about all of them in one circular moment. It's, I have this gift, kind of like what you were talking about. Like I can do this and I have this tool and I have this gift. Where I was going with this is, you know, by exposing how we have different facets to ourselves does not deter us from any opportunities. I think it just expands our opportunities. And so for those of you who are listening, who are trying to be like, oh, well, you know, I want to be creative, but I, you know, love X, Y, Z, but it's not really, you know, I I can't get paid for that. It's like, well, not necessarily. However, those are pieces of you that people will want to know because we when you're when you're working with a solopreneur, they're purchasing you. When no matter what your service is, no matter what product is, they are pur- they're purchasing you. And so they want to get to know you. And that is one of the things I love about, you know, your podcast and your social media is that you're not a one note wonder. You're not a one trick pony. You have so many different facets. Even looking at, you know, the form that you filled out, you have a lot of different beautiful facets. And I'm just curious, it, are there some, I feel like I want to, I feel like I want to give you a platform right now where if there is one that you would want to talk more about today that you don't typically, that you feel doesn't typically get the acknowledgement or the spotlight that it deserves for you, what, what would that be? Writing for sure. I think it's the one medium that I'm the most anxious about, the most perfectionist, mm. you know, the most like tedious and perfectionist and critical about. I think I'm, mm-hmm. I, I know, I know I'm great in person. I know I'm like great to like speak in front of people and kind of orate whatever it is, whatever, if it's information or entertaining or, I think I said it in one of my first episodes mm-hmm. of this year with my guest Quinn Townsend Riley, who basically she's, she's always been a poet. She's always been a spoken word artist and all these various things. And she actually wrote up, she actually released a poetry album and she's worthy and I told her that uh, she's also published, you know, her own book of poetry as well prior to those, prior to that album. And I told her, I was like, I admire writers and people who publish books and publish their works of their words so often because I'm so anxious to. And I think it's something about having a book. Mm. 
and that you've synthesized your thoughts for however long and you've put them in a, mm. in this in this one tangible mm-hmm. thing and people feel it from wherever they are whenever they are you know i think that's a very powerful mm-hmm. medium very powerful thing i just i think that's why books are, are what they are i think that's why you know the 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 symbolism in the mm-hmm. movie the book of eli really shows that that if we go through a whole apocalypse and information mm-hmm. is something that now becomes very scarce and very vital uh, to just existence and just yeah. our known world, books will be the thing that helps us understand each other and understand the lives that we live because somebody has took the time mm-hmm. out to just observe and write it down. And that's why it made sense also that it was the Bible of all things because it was just because it was speaking to so many different things. But I, I feel like mm-hmm. I think about how. For instance, the one of the one of the most popular books ever, The Alchemist. How I used to hear people speak about that book before yeah, I read it. Back. It's it's crazy, and it, it's I used to hear people speak about that book before I read it, and for a long time, I think I really only read a lot of like self help and stuff like that, and that's what made people kind of keep suggesting it to mm-hmm. me. So I was like, oh, okay, so it's a self help book, right? Mm-hmm. And I read it, and I was like, oh, this is. This is, this is fiction. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is a story. Like, this Next is not... Next level. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, this is not like, hey, this is what you need to do with your life. It's not talking to me directly at all. Like, it's just telling me a story. Mm-hmm. And so I was just mm-hmm. like, okay, I see, I see. And just thinking about all these other very powerful books that just tell a story and give a message. People who have written autobiographies and they've literally changed the way people thought. And they're just talking about themselves. I've always admired that because I'm like, I can always get on a mic. Yeah. I can always get in person with people and, and, and they can feel me in the moment because it's like, it's not just their interpretation mm. of me, you know, it's, it's me also being there in front of them, being able to do all the other things I can do to keep your attention. But if I could just synthesize my words, those words just mm-hmm. be in black on a white page. You don't know what I'm feeling. You don't know what the tone is that I'm reading, that I'm thinking of this from. Yeah. You have to, you got to yeah. read this from your perspective. And feel whatever you feel from it, like it or don't like mm-hmm. it, whatever it is. But to be able to resonate with people from a distance and resonate with people in a in a in a out of time and out of space, because that's really what books really do. You know, like you could write a book mm-hmm. a thousand years ago mm-hmm. and if somebody finds it and they just feel it, you know, they just feel it. They just feel so moved by it or inspired mm-hmm. by it. And it's just like, yeah, like you wrote this book and who knew you didn't even know it was going to affect somebody a thousand years from now. You didn't know that this was going to be still used as a mm-hmm. elementary example of some doctrine or some discipline within education. Those things are like beautiful to me. Hey, friends. Like in the episode? Pretty epic, isn't it? Well, guess what? This episode and all others have been made possible by financial support and contributions from listeners like you. So if you would like to continuously hear how these epic humans are more than just go ahead and head over to our GoFundMe and make a contribution. Cool? All right, let's get back to the magic. Okay, Ronnie, so I want to take you back a second and retouch on something, if you don't mind, on something that you said at the top of the episode, which was you mentioned how being well-spoken was kind of one of your first, you know, identifiers. And I'm actually really curious, have there ever been any, like, quote unquote negative experiences with you having that identifier and if so you know what what did you learn from it Mm, i would say that for me the negative experience was that i could 
sense that they didn't expect it, you know? And that they, mm. so if people kind of just judge me based off appearance, I think they kind of are just waiting to see how I show up. You know, on paper, it says this. Mm. My reference said that. I'm applying or I'm bringing myself into a space as if I know what I'm doing, which I did. <laughs> but when I start to speak, <laughs> I could tell when I start to speak, I can always, I'm pretty, I think I'm a pretty good, you know, I, I'm a podcast. So I think I'm a good at a uh, conversation. So yeah. I'm good at reading people when it comes to their re- them reacting to what I say. So I feel like I've been able to notice mm. quite often throughout my life when people enjoy something I just said, either they're going to verbally let that be known or they're going to literally let it be known from a nonverbal standpoint. And so it's been many times, mm. almost in every single workspace that I've been in, the commonality has been to let me know, like, you are like the, the morale center of the team. Like, you keep morale high. You're ah. always, you know, you're positive. Your attitude is so great and blah, blah, blah. And mm. I think it was in certain moments, it felt so basic. That they had to acknowledge that to mm-hmm. me, you know, it was, it was, it was, at certain mm-hmm. moments it felt like, okay, that's cool. Thank you. Appreciate it. You know, and I could always tell when it was coming from a, a place that was just a genuine observation versus kind of being, mm-hmm. I don't know, so simple. What made you want to tell me that, you know, like why you want to tell mm-hmm. me that I'm mm-hmm. like the peaceful guy or the guy who kind of keeps everybody's spirits up, you know, because I, I didn't mm-hmm. think I was alone mm-hmm. in that. I didn't think I was the only one mm-hmm. being that way on our teams, you know? on the teams mm-hmm. that I've been on in different various jobs and places that I've worked. So it was kind of interesting. And I think I always, always kind of made note of it more than anything. So it was, I think, the great orators of the world, f- folks like, you know, Obama and MLK and so many others, had to publicly deal with this idea of being this articulate exception. And I think it's a real off-putting space to be in because it's it's like there's an expectation that this was something that was either hard to do or miraculous to be, and it's not. It's genuinely not. I think mm. half of it is just my voice. I, I know that for a fact. Mm-hmm. I know half of it is genuinely just how I sound. The way that I speak, mm-hmm. being just the overall orientation of how I'm putting my words mm-hmm. together and allowing myself to project into the moment and timing and adding certain things. And then there's an element of just individuality. I love to just mm-hmm. know random facts. You know, mm-hmm. I remember I remember being complimented in college one day. They was like, it was like, Rodney, I've like watched you jump into like so many random conversations. I think you're the only person I know who's never intruding. Like, you know how anybody else who does that, it's like, damn, we were talking. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now, what were you saying? Like, <laughs> it, it, I, it seemed yeah, right. Yeah, you was, just like show up and put your two cents in. Yeah. Without, without much, without much to know. But I think it's because of, I love to learn new things. I am, I, me being a podcaster has definitely yeah. made, has like amplified that is an aspect of me. I love to learn. I'm open. I'm very, I'm very unrigid, and I don't. And I always see that as a, a point that I kind of like to identify. If there's a reason why I can't kind of open up or consider a particular mm-hmm. concept, I always be like, okay, let me go do some more research. Maybe I need to know more about this. Maybe I need to talk to somebody who is living in this experience before I can really truly place some true judgment on this. You know, and I'm open because I want to mm-hmm. learn. I want to learn new experiences. I want to learn new culture. I want to learn. Yeah. The, the best way to say something or the best way to or just to kind of just pontificate and proclaim whatever it is, because I like language. I like words. Yeah. I like speaking. So the last thing yeah. I want to do is speak in a way that makes people not want to speak back to me. But I understand that that's not something that everybody mm. really cares to do. So to me, it's like if people got took the time to get to know who I am and got that specific on what it is that I did when I speak. I don't think I would ever take anything as offense when they speak to yeah. how I speak and 
what it what the impact of my words mm-hmm. really are. But to just simply say, you know, you speak well and, you know, you, you know, nah, nah, nah. like very basic yeah. level things as if, you know, so many of us haven't went to college and <laughs> and like there's so many, you know, yeah. there's rules and there's syntax and semantics and grammar and all these different things with so many different things in the world that have rules. There's no real true rules on like a person's voice and how they sound yeah. to other people, you know? You could sound however you want to sound. Yeah. Just make just make yeah. whatever you say coherent. You know? So to me, I, I think to acknowledge that that's what it felt like. It felt like a, a a too simple of a thing to bring notice to. Like, you know, you you kinda you kinda walk straight. You like you walk upright and straight. And <laughs> like like it's mm-hmm. kinda like, yeah, a lot of people do. Right. You know, a lot of people do. And it, and, it, right. and are you acknowledging and like where is this space coming from? Is it becoming is it coming from a place of that isn't what you expected and I'm I'm kind of passing your expectations or and also what made you even start with any expectation at all because if i didn't sound like this at all i would hope you would still think i'm doing a good job if i was quiet and never talked to anybody at the right. job i would hope you still see me as giving a good report having a good rapport with everyone because i do my job you know but i think that was a microaggression that i think i kind of had to steadily deal with throughout throughout my time just in overall working Force because it was it was an odd thing you know I, I'm not a small man you know what I'm saying I'm, I'm six feet and some change yeah. I'm I got broad shoulders mm-hmm. a deep voice and and hair down my back you know so got a lot of different isms that you can kind of assume you know yeah that I think you know a lot yeah. of people don't really genuinely understand or genuinely know why people show up in a particular way so yeah sure but I mean mm-hmm. when it comes to just culture and worldliness and all these different things I probably have had more conversations to you. And that's not from a bragging standpoint. Mm-hmm. It's just because this is what I do. <laughs> so to kind of come to me as right. if I'm right. to kind of give a microaggression that feels like it's coming from a space of like expecting me to not know a lot or expecting me to not be as, I don't know, have mm-hmm. a, a lengthy vocabulary or interest in various different things or just be, being able to keep up with culture and current events. That was a very common thing that I think would happen yeah. in those water cooler conversations is that. I just knew so much about what was happening in the world and everybody else was not because they, yeah. everybody has different things. You know, the average person who goes to a, you know, a desk job right. just goes to work, goes home. They have a family, they deal with their family. They may have a show, you know, they go home, watch friends, binge friends. They're not watching a new thing. <laughs> they don't have, they're not really up on social media. If they have it, it's really for maybe whatever their particular interest is. Maybe, you know, depending if they're a man or woman or have a particular interest or however they identify. They may have a you know a particular interest that's based in that. Who knows? And then they go to bed and they start all over. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I get it. It's a niche thing. So me to show up to be in that same position as them to work alongside them and to kind of give a different dynamic. It mm-hmm. it, it, it was something that I think. Mm-hmm. But also, I think I never I never was the person that anybody felt like they could try in that way either. So I think it was a it was a dual element that was happening. Like they see mm-hmm. me as this person who was the morale center and a person who kept some levity about the day and about the team. And I was articulate in all these various things that they would mm-hmm. describe me to be, but they also kind of knew not to ask me certain questions either. I think they didn't want to know. I think because, I think, and that was the fear. Mm-hmm. I think me being so articulate, I think they didn't want to know mm-hmm. how how well I would possibly speak about the current events that have happened that are very negative and that are kind of you know mm-hmm. can't even go away mm-hmm. from you know, especially when you're talking about 2020 and mm-hmm. and the various things that have happened in the past yeah. ten years with just you know the rise of BLM and so many different. You know, nationally known acts of just, you know, police brutality and so on and so forth. My coworkers don't never ask me about that, mm-hmm. you know, and the ones that do, 
I think they do because they know me. They've taken the time out to get to know me. They felt comfortable because we've hung out yeah. outside of work. And they see that I'm a person who may give you the space. And if yeah. I didn't want to, I'll tell you that I want. I don't want to talk to you about that. And that's not a, me being yeah. aggressive. It's just like, I don't know how productive this conversation is going to be if I'm literally giving you, like, if the, right. ba- based off the question that you're asking me, it tells me that you don't know enough. So for me to even start to give my mm-hmm. opinion, you kind of have to know and have a, because I'm going to have to keep stopping. I'm going to have to, oh, you didn't know that police brutality is this crazy in the world. Okay, yeah. so Patrick Starr, let me tell you about how it's been for the past, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, 10 years in America. Like, <laughs> right. damn, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, and just that version of it, not even from the span of the past 50 to 60 to 70 years. We could go even deeper with that when we talk about just right. race relations and things like that. But if I just tell you about the last 10 years, I can give you so much information yeah. And that just be a small piece of yeah. history. And so, yeah, I, I think that uh, long answer long, that was kind of what the negative thing was. It was more of an internal microaggression I kind of had to recognize and deal with overall. Mm. And kind of just well, yeah. take it on the shoulder. Yeah, I mean, especially, you know, going back to 2020 and till now, right? I have a lot of amazing Black friends and colleagues who, you know, especially 2020 when they all of a sudden were like the resource and they're like, we've been here all the time. A Mm -hmm. and B we're not your resource, right? We can be a friend. We can be a support. We can be a soundboard, but we're not your Google. But I do, I, I know I, I really love to hear people's, you know, firsthand experiences. So I'm curious though, because you were in the, you were in the corporate environment, right? In 2020. Yes. So, with being a well-spoken, fluent black man, did your corporate, like, did your higher ups, I feel like the best word is, did they try to capitalize on you almost? Like, did you, yes, it's great. I love that your, you know, your coworkers had that rapport with you, but for the the leaders that may not have really, quote unquote, known you, but then identified you as this well-spoken black man. Did you ever experience any kind of like corporate capitalism on you as like their shining light? Does that question make sense? It does make sense. And I think I'm definitely one of the best people to answer this because right before I left, I basically became like this tokenized black person within the organization. So in 2020, Mm. so in 2020, and this was literally right as I'm, you know, months before I started to even initiate my exit strategy, before I even think that I need to leave, 2020 happens. And I have a friend who actually is, you know, who left actually before me. And, like, he left and went mm-hmm. back to grad school and things like that, who's actually finished by now. Shout out to Caleb. And uh, he was kind of, you yeah. know, more of a company man than I was. But it was because of the department that he was in. You kind of had mm-hmm. to be. When you were in customer sales, you're speaking directly to the customer, mm-hmm. trying to get, you know, these various accounts. For me, I was in customer operations and a mm-hmm. specialized sense of customer operations, too. So I was a very specialized team. And uh, so Mm. we just had to, we were the next step after the, you know, the work and the account has been, you know, closed. We are the ones who kind of operated from a yearly basis. Mm -hmm. So on just a day to day. So basically Mm -hmm. the events of the George Floyd killing happens. And the following week after, you know, there's been so much, you know, happening after that, they respond just like every other corporate organization Mm -hmm. wanted to individually respond in some way to show up that they cared or they paid attention or give this some type of attention in some way, shape or form, because we also had an office in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, we know that it's, and we, our office is oh. down, our office was downtown. 
So we're talking about not too far away from where mm. the actual incident happened and also definitely where the protests right. were happening. So we were already, you know, mm-hmm. by that time, we were already all majority working from home. I think the only people who were even going into the office were IT. And they had organized a town hall, you know, a town hall to discuss. And it, 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 it seemed like mm-hmm. it had really no real true agenda. They just kind of just wanted people to come in here and I guess air out what they felt about it. I didn't know that this was even a thing and uh, mm-hmm. only because it wasn't a it wasn't heavily advertised even internally that this was something that was happening. Mm. Caleb had to mm. tell me that this was happening. And Caleb was actually the proxy for his manager who was trying to basically who was I guess brought in to be a person to kind of recruit folks for these types of things for these kind of diversity efforts. Mm. And what he said, and Caleb told me, he was like... (laughs) Quote-unquote diversity efforts. (laughs) Caleb told me, he was just like, he asked him first, did he want to be a part of these things and blah, 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 blah. And I think he was the writing was already on the wall for Caleb that he was about to leave anyway. So I think he kind of just declined because he said he just didn't have the time or just Mm -hmm. didn't have the energy. But And then his manager followed up and said, oh, what about that, your friend? What about that guy? The guy with with long hair who, you know, you talk to sometimes to see him him around. I don't know his name, but what about him? Oh, man. He was like, oh, Rodney? He was like, he said, he said, <laughs> he said, I kind of smile when he asked because I'm like, oh, they don't, <laughs> they don't even know you. You know what I'm saying? They don't, they really don't know you. Wow. And like, they don't know that if they, if they, if you really would do this, what they're getting, you know? And I'm like, okay. And I was like, well, all right, just let me know. Right. Let me know what it is. Tell them whatever. And so he tells me about this town hall that's happening. And he kind of like, we kind of like chat back and forth and they send me the link. And I'm trying to get in, and I can't get into this town hall. And it wasn't just me. It was like two to three other people who coincidentally were black as well. And in an organization where it's not many of us, Shut couldn't up. get into this Zoom call. And I think it was because they had to increase the numbers and change some. It was something technical that they said was the reason as to why. But it was to me, it was just like, this is very, like, ironically, uh. just this is hilarious. You know what I'm saying? That we can't get into the conversation about mm-hmm. a black man dying. This is crazy, you know? And I, and I learned, and I, le- I literally Jesus. learned about this yesterday. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know how long, I don't know how impromptu oh this God. was, but if I didn't hear this from somebody else, I don't know if I even would have known about this because it happened in the middle of the workday too. Right. So it happens in the middle of the workday where everybody doesn't have the same type of workload in this organization, as you know, in any type of organization. You got people who got lighter loads, people mm-hmm. got heavier loads. Majority of the team in HR and obviously middle and mm-hmm. middle and upper management have all, a lot more free time to be in meetings and be in however long, you know, type of Zoom calls and things like that. My manager very lately made this exception. I, I, I think he sent me a think he sent us all a message about it in the middle of it, <laughs> like that this is a thing that you could, you know, Jeez. participate in. So even he was late with the information. But nevertheless, I get into mm-hmm. this Zoom call and it's a, probably about around like 200 people, but it's steadily increasing in number. And it's widespread throughout mm-hmm. the whole organization. The organization I worked for is a subsidiary of UPS, so it's a pretty pretty big size. It's logistics, so it's a very, mm. very high-earning type of industry. So all different types of people, basically all of the HR managers, all you know, a few different C-suite level individuals in the room, and a bunch of different you know, middle and upper management individuals in various departments, directors, VPs of this, mm-hmm. managers of sales, managers in operations, all these different things. And uh, I come in and I immediately hear a voice from one of my former coworkers who worked out of uh, the Chattanooga office. And he was, you know, very kumbaya. You know, it was a black man. And he was very kumbaya mm. in his speaks, you know, in his speaking and kind of 
was speaking to, you know, very positive, very, you know, nonviolent type of resolutions that could happen internally. And I thought that was nice. That was cool. But in my head, I'm like, I am really about to, Mm -hmm. if this is where they at in this conversation, I'm really about to mix this up. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I'm really about to stir the pot up a little bit. And because it's like nothing, there's no version of what I have to say that's going to be taken lightly. You know, there's no way for me to put this in any way, shape, or form that can be taken as like, oh, this, that was something sweet to say, you know? So, because we're talking about Mm. literally maybe six or seven days after this event went, you know, went public Mm. and everybody's Mm -hmm. talking about it and every, every company and corporate entity is trying to react to this in some way, shape or form. So Mm -hmm. I raise my hand, I wait for my turn and I come on. I now have the space to speak. And I literally, I have wrote down basically like three to four points already as I was waiting to speak. So I could just Mm -hmm. not forget. And I basically just kind of read them mm-hmm. to filth in a lot of ways, you know? And I think in the best way, though, mm-hmm. because it wasn't like I said any— Because funny enough, I didn't even have to give my own personal opinion. It was just—I was literally just counting counting all the facts that were in this space, in this time, in this moment. The fact that you guys are doing this mm-hmm. is a very reactionary response, obviously, mm-hmm. right? But it's reactionary because I've been in, with this company for almost three years. I think by that time it was two years. I was like, I've been in this company for two and a half years and I've never had, I've never been invited or never seen any type of diversity efforts at all. This company's been in, in uh, mm. this company technically has been founded since I believe 09. And there has yet to be any type of situation about diversity and inclusion and anything or equity in some way, shape or form since I've been here. So it's coming off very reactionary that you're now moving mm. and wanting to be about diversity when the whole world as a corporate standpoint, landscape are all trying to be about diversity now. So that's first thing. Second mm-hmm. thing, I'm not sure who asked you to do this, but mm-hmm. I want you to understand that the political is definitely personal when it comes to people of color. We don't mean for it to be. It's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't wear my hair as a political statement. It's because I like it this way. Black women don't wear, that, wear natural hair mm-hmm. because they want to fight the man. They really just might like their hair that way. <laughs> they don't shave it all off because they're trying to make a political mm-hmm. statement. They just might like their hair that way. Somebody might not wear Hindi, wear, you know, wear the, their various Hindi garbs and various, you know, traditional hijabs and things like that to work to just fight the power and fight the man. That's what they choose to wear for themselves, their culture, who they are as, a, you know, in their own identity. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with the job. So what you're asking for us to do is mm-hmm. now to engage with you for us to basically open up to let it be known for you to be in judgment of, quote unquote, saying that you want to care and be incorporation with us in some way shape or form about dealing with this this thing that really affects us more than anybody you know so we didn't i don't know who Mm -hmm. asked for that but i'm a good i'm gonna say it for the people who maybe even said they wanted this we didn't ask for this and i don't think i'm bold enough i think i'm bold enough Mm -hmm. to say that because now you're putting us in an uncomfortable uncomfortable position to now have to judge you based off what you say you're gonna do we didn't have to do that prior to this point and we already have to manage that on our own on a day to day basis that we kind of come into work. Every yeah. person of color comes into work kind of already being able to assess that they care about us and then they don't. Those things are not deal breakers for us, though, because if we did that, if every if every African-American walked around America and was like, I'm not going to work there unless they like black people, we would not work. We would not have jobs. <laughs> so we have to manage that and manage that confliction with ourselves. So. Now that you're wanting to put this in the forefront of our conversation, of, of quote-unquote, a practice that you want to bring into this organization, now we have to judge it. Mm-hmm. If you say that you're going to make a difference, you're going to take us serious, you're going to hear us out, 
And then there's pushback. There's some type mm-hmm. of oversight. They're saying, if you say anything likely of, can you do something else? We can't do that, but come up with something mm-hmm. else. Now you're now now it's getting difficult. Now it's getting hard because we can just make mm-hmm. up in our minds that it's just microaggressions. It's a bunch of ignorance. It's a bunch of misunderstanding. It's real hard to, to convince ourselves when you're just flat out showing us that you don't care. When we can flat out see that there's racial motivation mm-hmm. in these policies or even in the rejections of the proposed policies, that is not going to go mm-hmm. well. The over the turnover rate is going to go get higher mm-hmm. because it's going to get even more uncomfortable to work here because so many people are going to show themselves. And lastly, how ready are you to commit to all the things that you say you're going to do? You need to say mm-hmm. what it is that you want to do and how you want to be involved and stick to that and don't deviate. If you just want to donate money to organizations and want to know which ones it seem viable to donate to, cool. If that's where how you want to be a part, cool. If you want to be out on the streets and really be really truly on some activism, Okay, don't think that's going to really be sustainable, but sure. And also, it shouldn't be all on us. It shouldn't be on us Mm. to figure this out. We don't know what needs to happen either. We're not asking for more work. We're asking for more money. We're asking for equity. We're asking for being able to move and be mobile Mm. in this company more than we are you now coming into our world in this way. Because if you really wanted to be, if you really cared to be, you would have done that already. This It wouldn't be this reaction. And also, mm-hmm. how ready are you to make real, genuine change? Because there are probably people who have mm-hmm. self, have reported or wanted to report things that came from very racially motivated spaces and places. They probably even have proof of somebody being racist mm-hmm. to them in this organization. Are you, are you ready to fire those people? Are you ready to discover who those people are? Those people may be people who have who've made this company a lot of money. Mm-hmm who've done a lot of things for this company, who are great assets to this company. Are you ready to let those individuals go for the pretense mm-hmm. of them being racially motivated in some way, in some way, shape or form that goes against all the bylaws that every company says that they go by, that there's no racism, sexism and ableism and various things that everybody just has to say or put it on the wall and EEOC and so on and so forth. How much are you really ready to actually practice that? Mm-hmm. How much are you really ready to decline decline some type of offer or some type of interest as a, in a position from people who are coming in to apply for positions. I know that y'all look at y'all, y'all all have access into people loudly and proudly are being bigoted on the internet these days. If you discover these things in the assessment mm-hmm. of these people, are you going to, are you going to toe the line or are you going to be like, well, we're not a political organization. We don't lean anyway. Mm-hmm. We're not going to reject someone because they're Republicans. We're not going to reject someone because they voted for Trump and they're letting it be known. And it's like, that is what we're talking about. Like that, is, like that is the uncomfortable aspects mm-hmm. of what, why we don't bring it up, why we don't put pressure on organizations mm-hmm. because we know you're going to let you, let us down and not do what needs to happen. Like if we literally just spell it out as yeah. people who believe in this particular doctrine, this particular political ideology, and this particular social theme that keeps occurring in life, like the people who are Blue Lives Matters who are just being, you know, divisive for their own sake just because they don't want to admit that there's an issue and there needs to be some police reform and even mm-hmm. abolition for, to some sake. If we're not having that type of radical conversation, we're not ready to really make true, real solutions. We keep putting Band-Aids, <laughs> Band-Aids on things that don't yeah. even match, yeah. which is so funny that Band-Aid finally got a brown Band-Aid. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? We're putting Band-Aids on stuff and we got <laughs> and we got wounds. We got literal open wounds that are just... You know, st- like literally consi- consistently being reopened. 
in various ways. Because that's what happens every time these things yeah. occur. And they occur way more than what people really know. And if you're only if you're a, if you're a white individual working in a corporate mm-hmm. space, living your life, you know, you're, you, you're John Sally with two kids living in, you know, living in a nice, you know, two floor walk up. You got a boat. You're doing good. You're doing fine for yourself. So mm-hmm. to you, you may be only you may be a real nice person. Y'all got a real nice family. Y'all real, you know, politically correct. You've watched and donated. You've done some community service. And you probably just count the things that have made national news. But these things happen in communities that never mm-hmm. get that type of shine. George Floyd was not the first person to get that yeah. type of treatment done. And for a lot of people to know about it, it's just the way the media works. It's all based off of what they want you yeah. to see. So for me, it was me saying all yeah. of that. Right after saying all of that, I said a lot. <laughs> and I gave you, a, that was literally the best synopsis <laughs> I could give. But I said a lot. And yeah. after that, I was getting, you know, messages and teams chats and emails from everybody from the coo to the vice president mm-hmm. of legal to the hr managers and it was all positive feedback but also very awkward feedback as well like i am so i am so moved mm. by what you said and it was just kind of like what i'm supposed to say thank you for that you know it was like i don't know how to interact right? with this like uh, this isn't this doesn't feel like something i'm saying to get complimented for like I said, all I said was just facts. It's like asking that question, like, you're, you're so moved. What are you moved to do? Like, what are you moved towards? <laughs> yeah, and that's what I said to a few people, like, yeah, keep doing work or keep, yeah, keep the good fighter. I was trying to respond with things that was not a giving some type of salutation of thank you because I don't know what you're thanking me for. Right, what did I just yeah. give you? What did I, like, what did I, what did you receive from me? Right. In reality, you know, because if... Because a lot of things that mm-hmm. I said felt like common sense to me. So I'm not going to lean in for it to be just the interpretation mm-hmm. of how you received it. Because then that feels like, I don't know, like I just said mm-hmm. a lot. And it just can be taken as just a moving speech. You know, that kind of is just captured in that moment and mm-hmm. it really doesn't do anything mm-hmm. else. Because that's what happens. That's what you find a good Facebook post mm-hmm. to post that feels like it kind of encapsulates the moment. And that's what you feel. You feel like you've got it done. It's like I sat through a black man basically, you know, taking it. Taking it to the man, and I feel like I've done so much today. I'm going right. to go get me some Cold Stone and turn on Seinfeld, you know what I'm saying, for the rest of the day. <laughs> I feel like an activist today, yeah. you know? like, yeah. And so that's what it felt. Mm. That's what it felt like. And immediately after, I was getting so much attention. I, I made. They had asked me to be, they elected for me to be basically like the head black man in charge of the black inclusions team, which is one of the most popular ones they came up with. And they came up with several. They had one, you know, had a pride had a Pride Center affinity group. They had a women's affinity group. They had a, a Asian Pacific mm-hmm. Island affinity group. They had a Latin affinity group. They even had a green affinity group. Wow. Like a, just, you know, like all about kind of, you know, recycling and renewable energy and things like that. And they started to create mm-hmm. these things and started to basically say, like, everyone needs to have, you know, whatever your organiz- whatever these organizations to do. And I was the biggest proponent of, you know, making sure that this was the biggest thing that was being done was internal change. There was a lot of things happening in these meetings that was being mm-hmm. trying trying to make us do things outside, trying to make us create events that are going to benefit mm-hmm. out external things like oh community this or mm-hmm. banquet this or gala this or fundraiser this and I'm just like okay, but we need to create things that are going to help people in this organization. There needs to be channels mm-hmm. of being able to report when things occur. So that people feel safe that they're not going to lose their jobs. You know, 
because a lot of people aren't mm. saying things. Because right alongside me getting a lot of my white coworkers coming in, giving me some type of awkward praise for what I said in that on that call, I also got a lot of my own black coworkers who were on that call just telling me thank you. You know, like, and I'd say I accepted that because I knew where it came from. Because mm-hmm. it was just like, and they, and they, and they explained what the mm-hmm. thank you was. They didn't just say thank you. I was so moved. It was like thank you because mm-hmm. that's something I've been wanting to say, but didn't know how mm-hmm. to say. Didn't have the nerve to say. Was afraid to say. I got a family, but that's exactly mm-hmm. you said so many things, which was exactly some things I've thought, and I've been with this organization for eight years, and I and I, I could never. Mm-hmm. I, I was like, I don't think I could ever have said any of these things, but that's exactly what I feel, and I appreciate mm-hmm. you saying that. You know what I'm saying? And I think it was me being as young as I was, me not having the tenure that I did, me all these different things. And I consistently, in every meeting that I, because I was the, they made me the president of these organization, of this organization. And every president, every <laughs> meeting that I'm conducting, I'm basically doing a mini version of that same thing, just continuously reading the, the whole organization. Just letting them know what they're doing wrong. Right. And every single stop, I never didn't take the opportunity to let it be known what they're doing wrong, what is happening, what should happen. I yeah. believe it was, I forgot what his, I think it was Jamal something had occurred almost seven to eight months after the fact in Minneapolis. It was a white mm-hmm. female cop who actually shot and killed a young black man. And uh, I remember they had, they just took forever to say something. And I remember saying, like, and by this time, we've already established a lot of decorum. You know, we have a whole e-board. Right. We started to plan things. We started to have some you know, monthly meetings, we're talking more. We have an executive sponsor now where they're in the meetings and they're conversing with us about certain, you know, initiatives and efforts. Why are y'all taking so long to say mm-hmm. something about this? Oh, y'all sent the email only to the Minneapolis office about this scenario. You know, as if the world doesn't know about this. Jeez. You to- And also, you told the, right. in the, in the part of that email was like about not coming to work, about not working in the office, because by this time we started to get to a hybrid system. So I just sent mm-hmm. the lengthy email of like, what was all of this for? If you're not going to come and cooperate and like mm-hmm. la- allow for me and the team of people who are a part of this group mm-hmm. to advise or to say something or to have say in how this is going to occur, then what is the point of all of this? Mm-hmm. What's the point of all of this? Mm-hmm. But uh, mind you, my genuine real feelings about it, because I was, mind you, I'm literally in the phase of my own exit strategy. I know I'm not. I know my days are numbered. Mm-hmm. So everything I was doing wasn't coming from a space of what I really felt. So I, if I, I feel like if I got on that on the mic and told them how I really feel, it would have not went well. I might have lost my job <laughs> right. because I don't have, I didn't have that much. <laughs> to me, the writing was on the wall. It, you, you've been around since '09. It's now. It's been. Right. It's 2020. It's 2020. I don't think you care about black people, and I would have right. said it flat like that. But right. that would have, you know, created a, you know, a frenzy, obviously. But I so everything that I spoke mm-hmm. from, I spoke from a space that was about the people. Spoke from a perspective that was just general. Mm-hmm. I never had to ever give my opinion because mm-hmm. the facts were visceral enough to make my point. <laughs> they were brutal and mm-hmm. true and, and, and so true that I didn't have to make up anything. I didn't have to come up with my opinion. Everything was just based off something that you can Google. You know? So mm-hmm. over or just be able to observe about this particular, you know, corporate community. So yeah. I let them know that, and then they finally said something, and then they, I had a meeting with a few other—I was having meetings with C-suite-level people, and it was these you know, older and mid, middle-aged white men I'm telling about themselves, which I thought was intriguing. Very, very oddly self-deprecating as well, too, for them to kind of like engage with me in that way, mm-hmm. because they had those types of questions. They had those types of things, and I know I've told so many people about this, and they say, why did you do this? Why did you 
you know, allow yourself to go through this much effort. They didn't pay you to do this. This isn't right. You shouldn't have done all this. And I was like, to be quite honest, I think it was my last hoorah. And I feel like I got a lot from it too. Mm-hmm. You know, like from a psychological, from an ego, from a very ego and very, I don't know, kind of just from a final, like if this is my last hoorah, this is the last true like corporate job, like corporate yeah. job where this is does not align with my career, does not align with what I want to do. I like that I'm going out this way. I like that it's on record in, mm-hmm. in various spaces and places that this is how I believe, mm. that people know this is how I feel about them in terms of a corporate entity. So I kind of like that I'm doing this. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it was slightly therapeutic because I'm literally sitting here talking to middle-aged white men about how terrible white men are in the world. Mm. Well, who gets the chance to do that? <laughs> yeah, right? Who really Seriously. gets a chance to do that? So I'm like, I'm going to see it this way. And I also thought if I have the opportunity to influence groups of people who can make change for other people who look like me yeah. or in this industry, yeah. why not do that? I'm already on the way out. I'm already getting close and close to my own yeah. self-liberation. They probably actually have some true interest in this industry. They probably want to go far. Yeah. They probably have yeah. enjoyed it, see it as something that's viable for their future, their family and their future families, so on and so forth. But they also deserve for that to be a comfortable space to grow in and to strive to stay in. So, yeah, I'm gonna try to I'm gonna mm-hmm. try my best to like make this into something that I'm establishing all the best things I can for it. So I feel like I went out on top. So by the time that I you know initiated yeah. and told and I told them that I was you know leaving, I only I gave I told them on Friday, sent an email on Friday, told them I'm leaving the following Wednesday. No two weeks. They were so perplexed. Nice. They were so perplexed. And I definitely did it out from a space of protest, but also from a space of like. That was just the extracurricular of my job. My actual team did not respect who I was, did not respect my work ethic, did not respect mm. what I was giving to that team. You know, I was a I was one of three people who started that specific specialized team where nobody knew how to do the job. I didn't even know how to do the job when I first started doing mm. it because it was a very specialized mode of transportation mm-hmm. that a lot of people didn't know how to do. We didn't have enough resources for to be able to just create a whole new strategic plan around it. So we need to start with three people and see if we can have a proof of concept. And we proved it. Mm-hmm. And then by the time that we get to this point, it's already 11 people on the team. And I was a part of the original three. And so by the time I left hmm. in April of 2020, April 28, 2021, I became the most tenured person on our team, not because of any other thing other than time. My manager quit and left. Mm. Two leads that were given the positions over me who I trained. They got promotions before I did. Wow. And this is, mind you, it wasn't like I never expressed interest in in getting more work. It wasn't like I never, that wasn't a conversation that could have been had or at least some type of, this is why you can't be in this particular position. This is what we need to see from you. All those things were available to be said to me and none of those things were said. And even the person who who was brought in. So we have four people. Four people from two leads, a manager, and a supervisor all leave right before me. And the team that's now there, mm. the director who was always originally there was there, and there was a new hiring manager. And I basically let him know all of what was going on. Because he was because mm-hmm. basically now they're looking at me to be the person who they're about to promote, to be in to give some type of more energy because this guy needs some help. <laughs> he doesn't know what he's doing. And so they know they need to get yeah, put yeah. they know they need to give him some help. He has no leads. He, he's the only lonely manager. And his senior manager, who's he was hired by, is leaving too. So the only person who knows the most of how this team has worked for the past two years is me. 
because I was there since the beginning. Man. I've seen, I've literally, I literally onboarded almost half the accounts that we were operating at that time. But for some reason, I wasn't lead material. I wasn't even managerial material. You see what I'm saying? So it's this interesting thing. And mind you, I was only right. at the company for three years. And I was put in a position to where I should be on the fast track to middle management because I'm in this specialized group. Because I'm literally saving this company right. hundreds of thousands, even millions of dollars. Because there was nobody watching the money. Nobody to go and actually fight and email and try to get the money back from customers and from various different because it's a third party entity. So you everybody's basically just fighting over who's at fault and who should have money and what's who should be paying for what. And if you have nobody to manage that, then you're going to basically just be paying a lot more for a lot of things you shouldn't really pay for. So that was really the biggest reason why this. Right. A lot, a lot more Band-Aids. A lot more, <laughs> a lot more Band-Aids. And we were definitely starting to become a cast that could actually heal what this mm. what all this money that was happening. All this money that was being lost and that was happening. So I very much knew the work ethic and the things that I was doing and the thing and the, and the, and the value that I brought to the team because it wasn't like, like I said earlier, I, because I'm, I, I was so articulate and I'm, I am the type of person that I am. I'm not only just providing, which I think people need to mm-hmm. give more shine and light to. I'm not only providing performance in the job, but I'm actually making the work better for everybody else on the team. I'm the center of morale. That's a big thing to say. Mm-hmm. I'm making everybody feel mm-hmm. like they can do their job a little bit easier every day. And I don't have to do that. That's an extra X factor that is truly right. damn near priceless. So yeah, pay me more for that. You know what I'm saying? Because that means that I have an extra quality Seriously. that influences other people. You see what I'm saying? I'm bringing that to the team and that's what's going yeah. to keep people able to come into work every day. I'm suggesting potlucks. I'm suggesting quizzes on a slow day. I'm suggesting questionnaires and and games to play and blah, 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 to just keep our free time going and our minds fed with something because the day is so damn mundane. I'm having I'm starting conversations and just getting us talking, talking about music, saying, let's change the playlist. We listen to the same thing every damn day. Just those are the small things I did to keep myself sane. And it actually aided in a better work environment, even in the slightest of ways. I definitely was the person who started yeah. the whole energy of I'm not eating my eat, I'm not eating lunch at my desk. If I if I if I have yeah. if it's a break for an hour, I'm not gonna be here. No one did that. Yeah. I did it from the start. Wow. You know what people started to do eventually? Leave their desk for an hour and have their break to do whatever. People went home to eat lunch. People, people went and went yeah. and worked out. They used their time. The way that they wanted to use their time, which they did not do before because they felt like, oh, no, this is what everybody else in the organization has been learning to do. Yeah. And what's so interesting is that it's they needed a person. They needed the permission. Like, that's just so fascinating. Yeah. I mean, there's so much to unpack when it comes to corporate culture. Like we would need a we probably will do a whole episode on that. But just the fact that. They couldn't kind of think of that on their own. They needed someone like you who was like, okay, fuck this noise. I'm going to, there's no rules to say I have to sit at my desk or there's no rules that I have to do this. So I'm going to take my time and I'm going to use it the way that I want to because it's my time. And to them thinking like, this is such a big thing. Like, oh, look, Rodney did it. Well, I think I can do it too. Like that floors me as well. We are all very capable, smart humans. And yet, when you put us in this, you know, collective lemming environment, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that all corporate offices are like that, but, you know, for this story specifically, 
the fact that they really didn't feel not only welcomed to utilize their own time and their own way, they didn't feel safe to even vocalize the changes that they wanted to make to continue to enjoy working there. And then on the flip side, the fact that your higher ups are so, and I'm going to say are because I'm assuming they probably still are, so blind to it. Like they didn't even go there. That, I mean, again, there's just so much to process here. Mm -hmm. And I love that not only did you see the opportunity and take it in so many ways, I love that, you know, going back to, you know, you stepping forward in that town hall and going, look, if nobody else is going to say it, I'm going to say it. And again, being that example, because I, you know, you were doing this not to benefit the, you know, the six white men that are above you in the C-suite. You're doing it to benefit the people that you are working with and who are surrounded by you, right? To be like you wanted to just your what sounds like your main objective was to leave that place better than you found it and hopefully inspire others to continue that work. So that boundary of, you know, you knew going in that you already had an exit strategy. So you were just going to make it as good as you could and then like peace out nicely, but also with a, you know, with a little fuck you is also that boundary of you then you then knew how much you wanted to give them emotionally, you know, energetically, all of those things. So again, that also is such a beautiful example for those who are either still there or had the privilege of being in that same space with you, for them to see that they could do the same or pick up where you left off and engage their energy and their boundaries to continue that that snowball effect. Yeah, and I, I don't know where a lot of, of the people who I worked with or who are a part of the organization in last year are still there because I know that mm-hmm. uh, turnover definitely from that time of 2020 till then was increasing. And I think not only just because of the organization itself, but mm-hmm. I think everybody around the world, <laughs> around the nation, were assessing what they should yeah. be doing for themselves. And so, which, you know... You know, sorry to sound like a fortune teller, but I kind of called it. And then, and that first thing I said is like, people are gonna, yeah. people now are gonna view things differently. So they, people are gonna want to leave if they feel like they aren't comfortable because mm-hmm. they now see mm-hmm. they see things differently. Mm-hmm. So to me, overall, it was a liberating experience. It's definitely one of the top. You know, it definitely replaced me making the choice to move to Chicago. Me making the choice to go to the university that I went to. Definitely, kind of, you know, is the top tier choice that I ever made for myself in my life. And I think, I, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of the up, down and the learning process and the true risk taking it was, I'll never, you know, I think it was mm-hmm. the one thing I need to do for myself because now I know myself better. Mm-hmm. I know what I'm capable of. I know what my mm-hmm. genuine level of work ethic is and also what's blocking me to even push harder. And I don't think I would have gotten that if I didn't quiet my, my life, quiet my mm-hmm. mind. To get out of the the quote unquote rat race to a certain degree mm. and be able to know this, I have to provide for myself a hundred percent. And what does that look like? And what is it? And now you see what type of work, mm-hmm. what type of worker you are, how hard you will push yourself. What does it mean to now make all of your money on your own? What does it mean to now? What do you not know? What do you believe you thought you knew that you were good at that you really need more work mm-hmm. on? What do you need to give more time mm-hmm. to? Because the fact of the matter is, when you're giving ten hours of your day to a job and then two hours to transition to commute from that job. So 12 hours of your day is spent in obligation to something else. 
those are 12 hours that are gone that you don't have mm-hmm. for yourself to build onto yourself to be the slow building block of self-improvement and personal development. Because when you get home mm-hmm. and you got to be an adult and don't let you have fucking kids, don't let you have other responsibilities. You're, you maybe <laughs> you maybe only get two hours to yourself. And those two hours might not even yeah. be a complete duration of that time. They might just be spread out throughout your day <laughs> from that from that break mm-hmm. that you had early mm-hmm. in the day. And when you get home, maybe that hour before you go to bed, that might be the only time that you maybe have had to yourself that you can choose to fill this time up with whatever you want to fill it up with. And how much time is that? Two hours in your day out of a 24-hour day? Mm. You got to spend eight of it sleeping. You got to spend, you know, the rest of the time doing other things for other people or doing other things that are just a part of your responsibilities, like cleaning your house, like, you know, organizing yourself Mm -hmm. for whatever it is that you need to do. It's a lot. And I was trying to do that plus having a podcast, Mm -hmm. plus trying to have a half business Mm -hmm. in some way, shape, or form for almost the past, really for the past five years. You know, so I'm just and until mm-hmm. I finally like let go and and like fired my job, it was that was kind of what it was a liberating mm-hmm. experience for me. And I, I I think, you know, I made an episode about that in my last day in corporate America it was the title of that episode. I did it on live. I've recorded it. You can still listen to it to this day. And I just gave a good breakdown of everything that I felt like I had to do and why, where my mindset was and why I did it and how I'm feeling. You know, I never slept. I, was, I had issues sleeping Throughout 2020, mm. couldn't even sleep at night. I was so restless. And that day, I had probably the best sleep I had in 2021. And that was that's all I did. I didn't. I I did a lot of things. Try to get, do a lot of life nice. life hacks and body hacks to try to make me sleep better from 2020 until that moment. And that was one thing I did that just gave me the complete mm-hmm. answer to what it was. It's like, dang, I didn't think I was this troubled by my by this energy Mm -hmm. but you know i've had conversations about it so many times that and you know a future guest that i'm going to publish the episode on she said it the best she said why would your body why would your body allow for you to do something that you naturally that you already know that you don't want to do so why would your body give you rest for something that you Mm -hmm. don't even want to be at that you don't even want to do and so and so often so often you can see that in so many things that we do you know when it comes to if you if you were, I think I just seen it was a quote from Les Brown that I had retweeted on, I reposted on TikTok, where he said, let, if you, he said, live your life like, you know, like it's your last, like you have nothing else to, you know, like you know that you, the, you, the end of days are going to happen soon. Because if somebody told you you had 90 days left mm-hmm. to live, you would make so many major changes in your life. And what eight, 90% of people say mm-hmm. they're going to do is leave their job. And so why is that? Mm-hmm. Why would you leave your job if you've been choosing to do it for the past however many years? But now that you know that you got to, you know, that you got mm-hmm. this much to live. So that means your job really wasn't the best thing for you. Your career might not have been the one that you should have been yeah. in. And I think that we we have too many options. There's too many. And I think there's a whole industry that I think can be created to assist in people to pivot. Because I think that's the space that we should be moving yes. into. People should be more aligned and should be doing the things that they want to do. And not yeah. feel almost mm-hmm. like obligated to just take whatever they can, which is what so many organizations are having trouble with now. Is that the job? There's people always are saying there's too many jobs out here, and mm-hmm. people are not people don't want to work anymore because of the pandemic. And people they should have never sent the stimuluses out. They should have never did the PPP loans. They should have never made people work from home and mm-hmm. and brought down industry. They should have never did these things. The people who are saying this are capitalists because they 
they are living their dream and they employ people. Yeah. And the people who want to now live their dream yeah. too are getting in the way of their bottom line. And to me, it's like people should be doing yep. things that they want to do. I'm a millennial, obviously, so I'm big on that. But do what you yeah. want to do. <laughs> me too. I got you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I like, I like, do what you want to do. Like, why should you spend however many years yeah. just hoping that it's going to work out? And I get it. Some things may be, that may be a part of your plan, but plan yeah. it that way. Then. Yeah. Say to yourself, like, hey, I'm going to work this particular job yeah. for this long. I'm going to strive to get these particular goals met while I'm here. So I'm going to, I want to make more money every year. I want to get promotions and I'm going to leave in five yeah. years. Everything that I'm going to do with my free time is going to be me to set yeah. up this thing that's going to set me up for life. I'm going to save aggressively. I'm going to invest in myself, invest in learning about these things that I need to learn so that I can then create this business or do whatever it is that you want to do. Maybe you want to change your whole career and get into a different professional field, whatever that is, and you know that you want to do it in a certain amount of time. That's what you do, and you stick to that. You know, if that's what you feel like your options are, because everybody doesn't have that as an option to mm-hmm. be able to just come out of college and go straight to their career, or come out of college and or not, or not or college is even in a choice. But they know they got to just start working. You know, and they don't don't have any skills, don't have a real resume yet, so they just take yeah. whatever they can find in that time. They take whatever makes sense. You know, and that's hence why so many people yeah. go to the army, go and take these very very you know heavily strong commitments mm-hmm. and they can aid you like you can use that as a resource it can be a good part of your story and just be an element of your story but for a lot of people we shouldn't that shouldn't be the case for everybody it should be a situation where mm-hmm. there should be a fast track into things and i think that's why so many yeah women and people of color are going to take yeah I, I, so for those who are listening and you're just waiting for your sign to like do your own thing yeah. <laughs> this episode is your sign because yeah. it's so true that you know, all the decisions that all of us make at any time are the best decisions that we can make with the information that we have at that time, right? And when you get new information, you can therefore make new decisions, which therefore usually dictates a new plan. And there's nothing flaky about that. There, I mean, us millennials, we have this, you know, label with us that we're flaky, that we're snowflakes, that we bounce around. No, what we're doing is we're just gathering, to your point, like, you know, way in the beginning of, of this conversation, we're gathering information. We are learning new things. And therefore, that gives us new input, which gives us a new plan. And it's so funny that you mentioned, you know, people are like, why don't people want to work anymore? They shifted the stimulus. I just returned from a family vacation in Denver. And that was top of line conversation for my older family members who are corporate, either in corporate or own their own major corporations. And every time I'm like, well, it's just because it's not what they're aligned to anymore. It doesn't matter, honestly, what Yes, benefits matter. I'm not saying that, you know, you can't have a cohesive, supportive work environment. However, if a person has something that is top of line and of a priority for them and you can't nurture that or support it or elevate it, they're not going to work for you. And that's okay. They're going to either create their own thing or find a company that does. And I think having now these new options and more examples of people like you and others who have, you know, made a plan. Yes, you went into the corporate environment knowing that you had a plan, that it was only, you know, to your, like, I don't know if that was your actual example, but to your point of like, five-year plan, you're going to save this amount, but you're going to spend your, you know, your your outside time establishing this so that when your five-year hits, you have the runway to, you know, maneuver into this new path. It doesn't matter what your path looks like as long as 
it's yours and it is yours. Like you have full say on how you design your journey. There might be things that come to you that you don't have, you know, things outside, outside experiences or outside situations that you don't necessarily have quote unquote control over. What you do have is the control over the information that that situation provides to you mm-hmm. and how and allow that to, if it needs to shift your perspective, your direction, your resources, all of those things. So if you're listening to this right now and you're like, ah, I've been ho-humming, but everybody's telling me to just like quit today and, you know, worry about it tomorrow, but that's not your speed, then don't, but make a plan, make a one-year plan, make a six-month plan, make a five-year plan that gives you, you know, the confidence and the foundation to maneuver, but you always have full say, even inside of a corporate space where, you know, you, you want to vocalize some indiscretions, I guess you could say, or vocalize any microaggressions. That is your space as much as theirs. And you have full permission, whether your higher ups have given you that or not to address them. And then you can react how you deem fit to keep you safe, to keep you supported and, you know, and to keep your boundaries in place. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I feel like, you know, for me, it was a very liberating experience and it still is a liberating experience that I'm learning. Yeah. And uh, it helped me just kind of be able to reassess myself in a lot of ways in terms of what I was doing for myself. And I was spending so much time dedicated to something else that I didn't make time enough for the things I needed to make time for. And even now, I think I get this weird sense of remorse all the time of like how much time I spent doing so many things that did not aid in where I wanted to be in life, you know? And I've, you know, obviously I believe Mm -hmm. if you feel that way, definitely, I, you know, encourage Mm -hmm. you to have grace on yourself because you just didn't know you were doing what you felt like you needed to do for yourself at the Mm -hmm. time. So definitely if, if right now Mm -hmm. in this conversation, it feels like, dang, you're right, I should be doing more for myself. I should be choosing myself more often. And that has nothing to do with the entities that I'm, you know, aligning myself with. What What helped me be able to let go and truly change my mindset was that I only want to work with people. Only want to work with organizations. I never want to feel like somebody has dominion over me in any way, shape, or form. I want to be the true master of my own universe and destiny to where... I can live the the, the life mm-hmm. I want to live based off of my own merit, based off of what it is that I do well, based off what it is that I can prove, because that's what that's what we can show. That's what it is. If you're considering who I am and what mm-hmm. I am, how I identify, all these different mm-hmm. things, and not the work itself, then we have a problem. We have a problem, you know? And mm-hmm. so we just shouldn't be aligned. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't work together. Do you like what I do? No? Cool. Somebody will. Mm-hmm. Somebody does. And we got to just keep moving and staying aligned in that way. But allowing me to feel like I have to humble myself or deal with so many different things to just be able to survive does not seem fair, does not seem well, does Mm -hmm. not seem right, does not seem like something Mm -hmm. I would ever suggest for anybody to do. And this world we live in is, you know, so harsh and so, you know, it, it goes, you have your own natural tribulations in various ways. Especially when you identify in ways that are not that were designed for you to have a a, a harder time. <laughs> Why make it hard on yourself agreeing to be mm-hmm. a part of organizations and entities that really are not for your best interest? Mm. And I tell people all the time, mm. who because since I left, I'm now the you know go to. I'm thinking about quitting my job. Can you help me? Type of person, <laughs> or can mm-hmm. you give me some guidance on how to go about it? <laughs> and I've told yeah. them, I'm like, keep in mind. Do you want somebody else to be the ones who tell you how fast you should climb? 
how fast you should fly, how fast you mm-hmm. should go. If you're already showing competency to be a leader within a particular position, then they should be encouraging you to be in that position that you want to be in or be at least forthcoming as to why you mm-hmm. can't be in that position right now. We don't have the budget. We don't. Have, and like, that's the crazy part mm-hmm. about it is I think so much of, you know, corporate structure is definitely this very kind of very like white, passive, aggressive type of like and very male centered mm-hmm. way of going about mm-hmm. things. So it has a very slanted sense of confrontation. Mm-hmm. So a lot of white men don't realize they show up in this way where it's like, I'd rather just call the police on you and, instead of telling you that I think you guys are loud, you know, in the neighborhood, you know, instead of coming and confronting it myself like, hey, you guys, I got a, mm-hmm. I got a newborn baby. I get you guys the summertime. You know, it's Chicago. Shy, you know, summertime shy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get it. But mm-hmm. my baby can't sleep in the sleep for the day. Like, is there a way for us to kind of meet in the middle yeah. with this? You know what I'm saying? Like, is there a way for us to figure this out? Because I don't want to yeah. cause any issues. Y'all are cool. We're cool. I want y'all to know I'm cool. Now y'all can come and talk to me so that I may be complaining. Like, you know, tell the, tell the neighborhood yeah. or tell the block that, you, you know, that you're doing this. Shoot, I might have would have came with the baby. I would have made sure the baby stayed up. Came and got me a sausage and a, and a beer. Right. And, you know, probably went for a walk. Came back when everything calmed down and laid them down. But yeah. that's not what happens. Yeah. That's not what happens. Yeah. You know, there, there's a other entity that comes in and now yeah. you have this issue. Now yeah. you have this animosity. Now you have this aggression that we now can't be real true neighbors anymore. Because you are adversarial to me. You see that I'm someone who's mm-hmm. disturbing your peace when you just disturbed mine. And don't let us be don't let us be black people on the other side of the street. Mm-hmm. This really don't really feel good now. You know, we really don't mm-hmm. we really you don't know what was happening over here. Mm-hmm. You don't know what's going on. You know, do you know the real laws around having yeah. marijuana in your yeah. spaces and places? What if people were smoking? Now you've exposed people, you know? Because yeah. so many different laws and things when it comes yeah. to that, yeah. you cannot do this in certain practices. You gotta have it in writing if your landlord really will let you do this even outside. Not even not even just just because you're on their own premises. When it might not even be a conversation that you ever really have with your landlord, and they probably have mm-hmm. smoked a joint with you. But now the cops can now make that into a conversation because they're there <laughs> and they smell smell nothing but the best outside, you know, while this gathering is happening because you called right. <laughs> the police. And that's how all of corporate structure is. It's this passive aggressive, I'm yeah. not, I'm gonna tiptoe and not mm-hmm. acknowledge the person that you are. And that I feel a way about you being the person that you are. I don't understand you. I don't I don't walk your shoes. But also, I feel like I deserve to be in these particular spaces and places. I feel like I deserve to put my friend on before I put you on because I know them. I feel like I would work with them better than you. And, and, and just to understand that that is a bias mm-hmm. that exists. Like, let's keep it real. And let's be forthcoming about it all. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, it's not in the budget mm-hmm. to give anybody a promotion right now. But this is what you can do. Can we yeah. find you to be in another space? Can yeah. I move you to it? Would you be comfortable moving to another department? Because they have openings. They have budgets. They can be in that. You can maybe not do what you've been doing, but do something similar and be paid more and have the title. But people don't do that in so many organizations. Yeah. They literally just are like, oh, you've been at an entry-level position for yeah. the past four years? Oh, we didn't know. We didn't realize. Yeah. You didn't express interest. You didn't do all these things. And it's just like, okay, sure. <laughs> You're like, sure. Like, like, as if that's an easy thing to yeah. do. It's already hard enough to get a job. And so, so it's even harder to try to move up through that job. Right. So that's why I say you got to feel good. You got to stand yeah. your ground about what it is that you're, that how, how fast you want to get to where you want to be because you mm-hmm. are in control with that. And if it seems like somebody is impeding on that, then there may be a, mm-hmm. a, something to assess and get, get out of. 
Oh, so good. I mean, the, the, what is kind of swirling in my head is like on, on both sides of the aisle, right? As an, as an employee, vocalize and, you know, be confident and be mm-hmm. comfortable. And then on the, you know, on the C-suite side, listen, educate yourself and communicate. Like, don't, neither, there's so many assumptions on in so many areas of life. And it's like, that could be alleviated so much more if we educated ourselves, communicated between each other and listened to each other instead of just naturally assume and take action. I'm so happy that you shared all of this, honestly, because this is such the tip of the iceberg, I know. And I'm sure we are going to get a ton of questions. Either people are going to seek you out and teach questions, or I'm sure we're going to get a ton of questions on, you know, our show notes or our website and things. But thank you for bringing, but thank you for that. Like, thank you for sharing that and as well as sharing your energy and your emotional labor with me and with us because I know so many people feel seen and heard right now. And for those of us who are continuing to educate ourselves to Googleable points for us, right? To, to educate, to again, educate ourselves so then we can have communication with others. And then as a collective, really start to see how similar we are as well as how we can support each other in the ways that we are not similar. Because I don't like the word different. Like, yeah, we're everybody's different. But to find those cohesive collective connections by just having a conversation instead of, again, that assumption and then just taking an instant action without any sort of like in-between phase. I, you know, I really hope that this conversation continues to inspire that not only for the people that you inspired from the actions that you took both verbally and emotionally in your corporate environment, but continue to take through your podcast, through your storytelling, Mm -hmm. and also to, you know, have more platforms, more spaces for us to, again, listen to each other, communicate with each other, and then as a collective, start to implement the things that we want to implement as a, like I said, as a collective. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, you. I think you know the concept of your podcast. I think is dope because it's you know, it's a, a space that you you would think that somebody would already be covering to a certain degree. But I think it's it's good to kind of get people to expand about all the other things that they are too, you know, and all the things that they've seen other than what yeah. people know them to be, know them for, and know them to be. And because I, I think a lot of people, mm-hmm. um, only people who I've you know know personally, and the little that I'd have divulged in my you know recordings about that really understand kind of what that time was mm-hmm. like for me and also even why it's still people who question or mm-hmm. you know uh or still have reservations about me going about it the way that i did and, and saying like you shouldn't have done all of that mm-hmm. you, you didn't have to do all that but it's kind of like you know your your exit strategy and your mission to you know what your own sense of like self you know liberation looks like from a from a oblig- obligatory you know you know, whatever, you know, making a living looks like for you, <laughs> that's that's on you. You got to be happy with that. You got to be mm-hmm. content with that. And I feel really good about yeah. it. I felt really good about every all the energy yeah. that I was giving and all the, yeah. all the you know, the, the, the facts and fun facts and things like that. But it's also, I know that that's me. I'm not telling everybody else to do that. You know, I'm not telling everybody else to go out in that exact same way. Yeah. I want you to go out in the way that you want to go out in. You know, I'm, I don't believe that black and brown and people yeah. of color yeah. are, should be 
the educators of these things because you do have Google, you do have books, you do have people who are from these communities who have taken the time mm-hmm. out to educate the world and give them the language to understand the plights and or just a little bit mm-hmm. of the perspective of so many people who are walking around this earth. So that's on you to do the work. For me, I might mm-hmm. have the time, but I'm a person who loves mm-hmm. to communicate, a person who loves to talk. And if I see that you genuinely want to know, mm-hmm. you genuinely mm-hmm. kind of care, then I might give you that space mm-hmm. and time. But mm-hmm. I also don't do that for everybody. I mm-hmm. pick and choose, you know? So even if it seems like, yeah, you're the guy yeah. I can get that from, I might not give it to you, you know, just because I don't know where it is. I don't know, really know you that well. Or yeah. You really haven't shown me to be a person who's going to use the information um, in a wise way. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So why even waste my time? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. To just give you, to give you some statistics that you twist and twist and make into something else to make your argument. That's strange. So, yeah. 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 But no, no, I appreciate you letting me come on and say all these things, too. Love it. And I'm just going to add on to for those, I was going to say non-people of color. I'm just going to call it those white people who think that they can just overwhelm any person of color that they know in their life. And this is something that actually they do as a living. Pay them. This just because they're your friends doesn't mean that they can be your instant accessible free resource, Mm -hmm. especially if this is something that they do as part of their business, as part of their job. Pay them. I agree. (laughs) I agree. Because we would pay anybody else for for any any other service. So by no which way or form is any service by any means by anyone because they are close to you deemed free. In any which way or form, but yeah, thank you for sh- th- thank you for for the compliment. Uh, it it definitely is an inspiration for this space of you know there is so much that we can learn from each other when we get out of our quote unquote boxes and comfort zones. And so yeah, thank you. So quickly, not quickly. Take your time if you would like. I don't want to rush you, but I do want people to know where they can find you, your podcast. Like, how can people how can people find you and connect with you? Yes, you can find me. You can find any of my socials at Kings underscore memoirs. And when you come to my page, especially on IG, it's basically the hub of all the things that I do. I post about if there's any partnerships, if there are any personal pieces of content that I make. A lot of my main page is pivoted to be more about kind of just self-help and male and a a man evolving and hoping that I inspire other people to evolve as well and become better men, but also just overall wellness and overall from every standpoint is kind of what my page is trying to become, you know, trying to encourage people to be better to themselves, show more grace to themselves and, you know, and, and, and do the work that is required for you to, to be your best self. But but you can also follow the podcast page at the Simply King Pod on IG as well. Simply King Podcast everywhere on all streaming platforms. There's several thousands of hours of, <laughs> of um, several uh, thousands of hours of content. Nice. I have over a hundred over 198 episodes. Um over 198 episodes over the span of the past wow. six years with majority majority film guest giving their perspectives and have so many different perspectives, have people from, you know, international guests, all different types of things. And it's in a nutshell, a culture criticism podcast where I come and I talk about so much, so many things centered in somebody's identity, centered in somebody's experience, centered in just how the world is and just talking about and expanding on those things from a millennial lens. This week, it, whenever you're whenever you're listening, this mm-hmm. week's episode will be probably different than the one you you can see from last week or the one that you'll hear next week. So it's definitely a great ride and a d- yeah. diverse one. 
So I think you'll enjoy whoever, wherever you are, whenever you are. I appreciate it. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Rodney, for your time. I love where this conversation went. That's not where I was expecting it to go, which is why I love doing this yeah. and create the space to just let it go where it wants to. Yeah, me too. Because there's so, so many gems inside of your share, inside of your story. So thank you for taking the time. And all for the rest of you that are listening, Everything that Rodney mentioned will definitely be in the show notes. So check those out. Definitely check out his podcast and reach out to him. But thank you again, Rodney, so much for spending time with me. And thanks everybody for listening. And we'll see you next time. All right, folks. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this epic episode. All of the resources and links connected to it will be in our show notes located on our website, more than just If you liked this episode, which I would be shocked if you did not, go ahead and hit that like, subscribe, review, and share. Also remember that this episode and all others have been made possible by financial contributions and support from listeners like you. So if you would like to hear more stories of how epic humans are more than just, pop on over to our GoFundMe and make a contribution. Also, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at more than just podcasts. Thanks again. See you next time.